you ready for God's word? I have 39 minutes to make this come alive for us. And I want to remind you where we've been. Who am I? Is what Moses asked the Lord. Why did he ask that? Because God had put him on mission. And if you really want to be on mission, if you want your life to count, you need to know who you are. But, but the only way you can truly know who you are is the same way Moses found out who he was. Do you realize it took Moses some 80 years to find out who he was? And it was at the point that he asked God, who am I, Lord, that God said, more importantly, it's who I am. Because based on who I am will determine who you are. Do you get that? Because so many times today, in today's day and age, we want to tell God who we are. We want God to tell us who we are because we're trying to be, we're trying to be partners with God. Some of us are even trying to make God our butler. God, when I pray, you act. When I confess, you do. When I claim, you provide. When I do this, then you do that. But that's not what I see in God's word. What I see in God's word is Moses says, who am I? And God says, no, Moses, more importantly, it's who I am. And as I introduce myself to you, you're going to see your purpose. And your purpose is to serve me. Isn't that what God called the entire nation of Israel to do? Is to serve him? Let my people go that they may worship me, serve me, that we might find our purpose. And so we said that our purpose is found in the church of Jesus Christ. Now you say, oh, pastor, come on. Why is it always about the church? Now I get it. The church has fallen on hard times and gotten a bad rap. And the reason it's gotten a bad rap is because, well, we can be so bad. <laughs> Isn't that true? But it's something interesting that we always are good at saying, man, the church is this, that, and the other. But we forget to remember that we're part of the church. That means if the church has a problem, it's because of us. Now, I, I, want, you to, I want you to listen to me briefly on this. Because if anyone has a reason to be negative to the, towards the church, it would be me. I don't say, I'm not saying I have the biggest reason, but I have a good reason. After all, I was raised as a PK. But not just a PK. Uh, a GPK as well. What is GPK? That means a grandparent's kid. Or a, a, a grandparent pastor's kid. Does that make sense? That means it's in, the, it's in my line. It's in my generation. You say, but pastor, that should be good. No, because if, if, if it stands to reason that the church is messy and troublesome and just not worth it, then the closer you are to it, the more you're hurt by it. And this is the reason why I can honestly tell you that I, I, I said it over and over and over. Lord, I'll do anything for you except I'll never preach. I'll never be a pastor. Why did I not want to be a pastor? The reason I didn't want to be a pastor because I knew the church can be horrible. But I want you to think of something with me for a second. Why is the church so horrible? Well, pastor, because we're a bunch of, 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 well, you know. You know, it's hard to say because we're fallen and we're broken and we have issues. 
But that's the truth. But, but there's a greater reason. And the greater reason is because the enemy knows that you are the hope of the world. Did you catch that? The enemy knows that the church is the hope of the world. The enemy knows that we are called to be his bride, that we are called to be his hands and feet, that we are called to be the presence of the living God in a lost and fallen world. Think about that with me for a second. Jesus said, I won't leave you alone. I'm going to send you a helper. The Bible says that you are his temple, his workmanship, that we are living stones being fit together to construct a living temple of God. And that living temple would be filled by the presence of God. And the presence of God would fill his church. And the church would be the living, breathing, manifest presence of Jesus Christ in the earth. That means because Jesus Christ determined there should be a church here in Bastrop, Texas. What for? So that the Bastrop community would see him, feel him, touch him, believe in him. Now, if Jesus said that, who else heard it? The enemy heard it. And the enemy said, well, I'll just put a big bullseye on every church. And we're going to try to destroy the witness, but most of all, we're going to try to destroy them from within so that the very church hates the church. Think about that. So that the very people that are called to be the church would have no respect for the church. Oh no, I said a long time ago, Lord, you love your church, therefore I love your church. You love your bride, therefore I love your bride. You forgave your bride, therefore I forgive your bride. Lord, and I'm a part of that, and thank you so much for calling me to something bigger than me, amen? Thank you for taking me beyond myself and calling me to something epic. And so this is why we said when we find our purpose in his community, in his flock, in his people, in his presence, then we can begin to engage that purpose in a very real way. This is why I say when I am about my God's business in his house, then I'm blessed. I'm blessed in so many ways. Why? Because God knows how to bless me. God knows how to bless me. And so last week we said to be the full functioning body of Christ, the complete body of Christ, we need to focus on at least these seven things. And the reason I picked seven is because seven is the number of completion. And so we want to be complete, or better yet, we want to be proportionate. Come on, how many of us, if we go to lift weights, have we learned it's good to be proportionate? Anyone ever see someone that skips leg day? What happens if you skip leg day one too many times? You get really big on top, but then you got these little skinny legs. You know? And why do people skip leg day? Because it's what? Say it. It's hard work, isn't it? Oh, can I tell you something? I'm going to let you in on something. It gets harder at 50. Oh, it does. I used to sprint. That's why people say, Pastor, what happened in the last five years? You've gained weight. I can't sprint anymore. I don't like doing a whole lot of legs, but I love sprinting. I love do pushing, you know, stuff. And, and so I would get that kind of workout. But as your knees get older, it's harder to do that kind of stuff. But I'm learning that by skipping it, it only gets harder. 
So you can't skip it. That means we're called to be proportionate. So what does it mean? It means what happens if you, if you work on the upper body and you're always fellowshipping, always fellowshipping? What happens to a church? It's always building fellowship, 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 but no training and studying of God's word. What takes place? They're 10 miles wide and like a quarter inch deep. And so what happens is we end up being our own worst enemy because the, the enemy can come in and tell us anything and create all sorts of problems within the church. You say, oh, pastor, so then we're leaving doors open for the enemies? No, sometimes when we're, when we're only fellowshipping and we have no, no wisdom and understanding, we don't just let him in. Sometimes we bring him in. And we bring him by the hand because the Bible tells us on many occasions how to leave no provision for sin. Make no provision. Don't let the enemy get a foothold. Get him out of your life. Don't do these things. Understand what God's word is so that you might prosper and live and be all that he's called you to be. Amen? Amen. You say, Pastor, are you sure? No, I'm sure. The Bible says it over and over and over in different ways. Take heart. Do not fear the world. I have overcome the world. But it's right here. Okay, so what happens if you're always learning? So the teaching part, you're learning, you're learning. You've got this one big leg, right? I never skip leg day. And you walk around and you go, Pastor, you're being so silly, but I'm trying to make a point. So what happens if you learn and you learn and you learn, but you never reach out? You never go ye therefore and reach out. What is that? Well, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that knowledge by itself, what does it do? So when you learn the Word of God and you've got a lot of knowledge, it puffs up. Have you ever seen um, so-called Christians that walk around all puffed up and they say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like these little sinners. They should know better. If they studied, if they prayed as much as I prayed, if they would fast like I fast, then they would. And I find it interesting that the more they study God's Word, the less they actually do what Jesus did. When you fail to connect the dots, watch what Jesus said. He said this. He said, go ye therefore, and as you study, teach them so that there is a flowing. Because what can happen is if all you do is study, 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 but you never give out, what happens is you puff up and that living fountain that's supposed to flow begins to get stagnant because there is no flow. Does that make sense? And so we need to be mature, well-balanced, well-proportioned, working out every area and not forgetting our heart. And so today, we'll cover the last three, teaching, worship, and prayer. Are you with me? Teaching. How important is teaching? Jesus said, go ye therefore and make disciples. Teaching them what? Everything. Everything, because to learn God's word is so important. Why is it important? Well, to hear Paul say it to Timothy, the, the young man he was teaching, this is what he tells him. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. So that means you're going to have to work at it, Timmy. You're going to have to work at it that you would be approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In another version, it says, rightly what? Dividing. 
What does it mean to rightly handle, rightly divide? It means that you are able to handle this word as a good swordsman. This is the sword of the Spirit. This is the Word of God, your sword in spiritual life. That means you know how to defend yourself. You know how to advance with it. You know how to, come on now. Okay, let me, let me, let me be a little bit more specific. When you come up to a situation, a circumstance, different things that transpire in your life, do you know how to go to God's Word and get clear direction? That's what he's saying. He's saying, know how to handle your marriage, know how to handle your friendships, know how to handle your business, know how to handle these tough situations that the enemy is going to come at you with, but you have to learn how to do it in God's word, with God's word. You say, pastor, that's harder. That's, that, that's, that's hard. Absolutely. So watch what he says. He says, you've got to work at it. You're going to have to work it out. This is why the Bible makes a big deal about how valuable God's word is. Do you realize that Paul goes on to say to Timothy, all of scripture, watch, all of scripture, not some of scripture, all of scripture is what? Is God breathed or breathed out by God and is profitable. What does profitable mean? It's useful. It's advantageous. It's to your benefit. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. What is reproof? Correction or rebuking? You say God's word won't just, won't just um, constantly tell me how great I am? Oh, no. No, no. Uh, those are the joy boys on TV. <laughs> and for training in righteousness... That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It means that I want to bless your life in every aspect. And sometimes you need to be encouraged. Sometimes you need to be what? Corrected. Sometimes you need to be directed in truth, in love, in completeness. And so this is what God is saying because watch. Watch what the goal is. Are you with me? So he starts off saying, I want you to be able to take God's word and apply it to your life. And then he says, God's word is applicable to every area of your life. Come on, how many of us have ever seen that? That the more we get into God's word, the more we realize it's speaking to me today. It's speaking to me in the exact thing that I'm going through. Do you realize that I've had people accuse me of knowing their business? Because I'll be preaching, they'll say, how did you know? And I had one guy say, it's almost as if you're preaching, but this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing you go like this. I'm like, I can assure you, I'm not watching you. But God is. And the Bible says that he speaks out of the need of his people. Does he not? And so he's going to bring a word based on what you're going through. But you know what I find most interesting? This is something you may not know because in your, when you're listening to it, you're, you're taking it like, oh man, that hit me square. That was just for me. But what I'm seeing is you say that, you say that, you say that, you say that, you say that. And when you tell me what you got from it, it's a wonder how you got it because that's not what I said. <laughs> 
And I'm going, you got three, four, five, six different people talk to me about what they received. I'm like, God, you're amazing. And Lord, thank you for using a simpleton like me. Amen. This is amazing. So watch. It goes further because then he says this. He says this, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of witnesses, not some, many, look around, many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What is Timmy saying to him? He's saying, I want you to learn how to use God's word. I want you to know that it's applicable for every area of your life. Now I want you to take what you've learned and start teaching others. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I, I want you to think of yourself as a future teacher. No more of this, I'm just going to sit back and receive. I'm just sitting here on the pew, receiving, receiving, receiving. No, I'm receiving for a purpose. I'm receiving because it's going to be my time soon to teach someone else, to pour into someone else. I've got to step up. Oh, my gosh. Come on. You say, how long do I have? Three years. How long did Jesus give the disciples before he said, come on, boys, get out there? Three years. They go, Pastor, I've already doubled that. <laughs> then get with the program. Amen? You say, Pastor, I'm not a teacher. You don't have to be Billy Graham. Let me say that again. You don't have to be Billy Graham. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you're not. <laughs> Amen. Go ahead. Let's just get that straight. You're not Billy Graham. It's okay. But you can be a Timothy, can't you? You can take what you have learned and faithfully just share it with somebody else. You know what I find interesting? That when I first became a pastor, it was scary. But guess what? It's still scary because I've never been here before. What do you mean you've never been here before? I've never pastored at the age of 51 before, ever. I've never pastored this group of people at the age of 51 ever before. I've never pastored a church this size ever before with the prospect of building a brand new building and growing and expanding. And God put us here where he's bringing the world to us. We don't even have to go out anymore. God said, you know what? I'll bring them to you. I'll bring you people from all over the world here to Central Texas so that you can share the gospel with them. Amen. And so we've got to get after it. Now you might say, but pastor, I'm nervous. Guess what? I was nervous, but I learned something. That in my nerves, God used his supernatural ability to do a work I could never have done on my own. Amen? On my own. Teach his word. Teach his word. Amen. Get ready to teach someone else. Number two, worship. Worship is super important. Now I want to share something with you. Because in God's word, in the book of Hebrews, I mean, excuse me, the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, I urge you or I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, watch the way it's constructed. I urge you, therefore, brothers in Christ. Now, he's going to urge you by something. I urge you by the mercies of God. What does that mean? Because you did not fry. Let's just be straight. Because God didn't give you hell, which you deserved. So in light of that, I urge you to do what? To present your bodies. Presentation is a very unique thing, and it's a very specific thing. 
The priest has not presented the offering to the Lord until he takes his hand off of it. So Paul is saying, in light of the fact that God was so merciful with you, you should put yourself on the altar and take your hands off of it. Give yourself to God. Oh, come on. Somebody like, I, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I want God in charge of my life. It shows. I'm just, can I be honest? I don't, I don't think, I, I don't know if I want God in charge of my life. Yeah, it shows. Isn't that true? When you see someone who doesn't want God in charge of their life or anywhere in their life or have his hands on their life, it will show. It will show. Now, now here we go. Watch this. He says, put your life on the altar, take your hands off of it, and live for him. That means don't die for him. Live for him. How many of you know it's a lot harder to live for someone than to die for someone? Dying, it's one shot. That's it. You just got to get like one good act of her heroism and jump in front of that bullet and then take it and your wife will be happy, but she'll move on, right? <laughs> Am I right? But it's a lot harder. I've learned to live for her. Oh, yeah. Day in and day out. Okay, but, but let's go back to this. So he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act. What does it mean reasonable? It's the least you can do. In light of what God did for you, the least you could do is live for him. And then this is what it says. It says, it says this is your reasonable act of worship. In another version, it says your reasonable act of service. You know what I find? That the Bible interchanges those two. How so? When Moses went for God to Pharaoh and said, let my people go that they may what? Depends what version you're reading. In some it says that they may serve me. To serve God and to worship God are the same thing. Why? Because you're saying, Lord, I give myself to you for your honor and for your glory so that as I live, as I walk, as I conduct myself in this circumstance, in this situation, in this rush hour traffic moment, in this argument with my spouse, in this situation at work, as I conduct myself, I'm doing it as a worship song played out in my life to you. Oh, come on. But I'd rather just give him lip service. That's easier, isn't it? I'm, I'm with you. It's a lot easier to sing on the front row than to live bright and early Monday morning or in the evening on Friday. But this is why the Bible says in the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, as each has received a gift. Did you know you received a gift? In fact, you received the presence of the Holy Spirit. But I need you to understand that. The Bible calls that the charismata, which is Greek for um, the, the grace gift of God. That means God graced you with the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God is not just salvation. It's salvation that is unfolded in a supernatural way in that it it comes with a supernatural gift from God to you. But how do I access this supernatural gift that I've been given? How do you access it? So one day I preached on this, and it was 
10 years after Raquel had received some gifts on Christmas. And when she was a little girl, she was our only little girl in the family for, for years. And so the aunts and uncles and us and everyone would give her so many gifts, she would unwrap them and toss them. Unwrap, toss it, toss it. And she's going, no, I was never that ungrateful. Uh, yes, she was. <laughs> and so I got upset with her and I said, you're not, you're, you got to play with those and we'll take these out later. I forgot. I put them in the attic and they were there unwrapped for 10 years. One of those Barbies was worth 1,500 bucks. It had gone up in value. Can you believe that? So anyway, that's not my point. My point is this. My point is some Christians, some Christians receive this amazing gift of God and they put it away and they forget to ever unwrap it. And the way you unwrap it is to roll up your sleeves. What do you mean roll up my sleeves? I mean this is universal sign for what? Let's get after it. Come on, let's do something. Let's get after it in Jesus' name. i got to do something. That means I've got to stop just receiving and I've got to start giving. i got to start using the gift. You say, Pastor, is that how you learn to preach? Absolutely. You want to know what happened? I came to the Lord after having Raquel and getting married with my wife and saying, Lord, I am headed nowhere fast and I'm going to crash my marriage unless you become real to me. I've been borrowing my daddy's faith, but it's time for me to be grounded and to give my daughter the same thing he gave me, something solid, true, and real. And so, Lord, if you change my life, if you change my life, God, you'll never have to beg me to serve you. And so he changed my life, and therefore he put me to the test the very next week. Will you be? Yes. Will you do a children's class? Yes. Will you do a youth class? Yes. Will you be the treasurer? Yes. Will you be the committee chair of the committee on committees? Yes. Will you be this? Yes. Will you be that? Yes. Did I do them all at one time? No, I was just, they needed something, I did it. Would you lead our BBS program? That's Vacation Bible School. What do I know about BBS? I could have easily said, I'm a young kid. I don't know that much about BBS. No, but God needed it. I said, yes. How about when they said, how, how about you lead a young married couples class? I just got married. What do I know about young couples? But I said, yes. Same way when they first asked, we don't have someone to fill the pulpit. Pastor has become ill. Would you preach? <laughs> but God said, I thought we had a deal. I save your soul and you serve me. And you serve me. Can someone hear me on this? For you have received a gift. Use it to serve one another. That's your church. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God that he supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what we're talking about. So I've got to 
I've got a little story I want to share with you. Unamuno was a philosopher in Spain. And he tells a story about the great architecture of the Roman Empire that constructed an aqueduct to bring from the mountains all the way to his little community in Spain water. And it did so, this beautiful aqueduct was constructed in, in uh, 109 AD. 109 AD, and for 1,800 years, it beautifully worked, and people were refreshed with the wonderful water. But then at some point, a younger generation came along and said, we need to honor this aqueduct. It's far too important to continue using it so carelessly. Therefore, we're going to make it a memorial, and we're going to make it a museum, so to speak. We'll decommission it so that it will no longer have to be used, and we'll build one with modern technology. They built one with modern technology. They sat back and watched the aqueduct as it no longer had to serve. And within years, within three to four years, it began to disintegrate right before their eyes. And they realized something very, very important, that when it was no longer being used, the hot sun of the region began to bake and, and, and just completely crumble the existing structure because it was made to be, can I tell you, you were made for more than just sitting. You were made for more than just receiving. You were called to receive and to give out, to bring living water to the community around you. That's what you're called to do. Don't you dare think about retiring. I wanna share that with my older folks. You don't get to retire. Well, pastor, I'm not as strong as I once was, but you're as strong once. As you ever were. No, I'm just, I'm not going to sing Toby Keith to you. But I am going to tell you this. You may not be able to do exactly what you did when you were young, but we need your knowledge. We need your wisdom. We need your input. We need what you have gathered through the years and experience. I love my younger generation, but I also love my older generation. And in this church, we will bridge them together. Amen? Why? Because the younger generation has the energy, has the passion, has the excitement, has the strength, but they also need your wisdom, your experience, your understanding, your way of seeing things based on what God has taught you over the years, and together we'll reach this community. We'll reach this community, amen? So there's one more story, and then we'll move on and we'll be done. President JFK is remembered for, for telling the nation that we would put a man on the moon. And he said, in the next 10 years, we will put a man on the moon. And he said, so to speak, it won't just be one man. It won't just be me. It won't just be our astronauts. It will be every person in America because we do this as a nation. And so he got everyone excited and he went to tour NASA. And as he's walking through NASA, the story goes that he saw a man mopping. And he walks up to that man as he's walking by and he says, I'm President Kennedy. And the man, just so pleased to meet him, he stops mopping, he shakes his hand. And the president said, sir, what do you do here? And the janitor could have easily said, well, I keep things clean. Instead, with pride in his heart, he, he sat there and he said, Mr. President, I am here helping put a man on the moon. Think about that with me for a second. What if every church person were to say, I serve at my king's good pleasure. 
and we're here populating heaven. We're here saving marriages. We're here calling wayward kids back home. We're here doing what we have been called to do in Bastrop, Texas, so that, so that lives will forever be changed because of the work we did. Oh, that's not, oh, I just do this. I just say hello to someone as a greeter. I just help seat someone. I just change a diaper in the back. No, we're here populating heaven, amen? Last but not least, prayer. How many of you know that prayer is powerful? The Bible says, I'm gonna read you a couple of Psalms. You won't see them up here until I get to the one I want you to look at. But the Bible says in Psalms 145, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. He draws near to them. The Bible says that the Lord draws close to a brokenhearted person. So if you pray with a broken heart, he's there for you. A wounded spirit, he's there for you. The Bible says that if you call on him in truth, he's there for you. The Bible also says in Psalms 116, watch what happens. When you pray, you enter into a love relationship with God. Watch what the psalmist David says here. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. I was a kid, raised in a Baptist home, knew all the right things, but my heart was far from God. I loved the world. I despised the church. I was sick of all the lingo and church talk. I would say things like, at least the world is real. Until one day I knew, I knew, I knew I was empty and lost. And I cried out to God. I said, Lord, Lord, change me. No amount of messages have been able to do it. No amount of knowledge has been able to do it. I need the power of your spirit to change my heart from the inside. This is my prayer right here. The Lord heard my voice. On more than one occasion, I cried out to the Lord, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm tired of pretending. I don't care if anybody else believes. I want to believe. Have mercy on me. And he heard my cry for mercy. He turned his ear to me. He didn't have to, but he turned his ear to me. And I fell in love with him. I fell in love with him. And from that moment on, I can't stop praying. I can't stop praying. I will call on him as as long as I live, God, don't take your spirit from me. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you opened up. You opened up the holiest of holiest, and you allowed me to enter in and to have an audience with you. I don't know what people did before they could just call upon you. They were lost. God, thank you for the privilege. That's what the Bible talks about, prayer. 
It's not, oh, I was desperate and I called on him, and now the next time I get desperate, I'll call on him again. No, I was desperate. He answered me, and now I'm not ever going to wait to be desperate again, God. I'm going to keep talking to you and keep talking to you and keep talking to you because I love you. Amen. So there's a story, and this is where we finish, about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the great man of faith, missionary to China. He gave his life in service to the Lord to reach that country. And as he was en route, as he was en route to China, the ship became in a precarious, dangerous position. The deckhands were scurrying about and the captain was worried and he had this stern, solemn, just, just look of despair on his face because the wind had completely died and the current was pushing him towards a treacherous reef that was known for tearing ships to shreds. And then once the ship was turn, torn to shreds, they would, they would be carried, whoever was survived would be carried over to nearby islands inhabited by cannibals. In fact, the cannibals had already begun to be aware of the ships and had begun to gather on the seashore, building fires and chanting to their gods, their, their pagan gods, for what they were about to receive. The ship was in dire straits, and the captain looked at his crew and everyone on board and said, I hate to inform you, but we must prepare for the inevitable we will be shipwrecked on that island and it won't, be, it won't be good. We've done everything we can do and so everyone dropped their head in worry and Hudson Taylor said, what do you mean we've done everything we can do? We haven't prayed yet. In fact, we should have started with prayer. And so he hit his knees and whoever joined him joined, but he began to call out to the Lord and just then he sensed the Lord speaking to him. So he stands up and he concludes the prayer and immediately turns to the deckhands, which were, which were surprised because they thought they were praying, but all of a sudden the prayer was over. Why was it over? Because Hudson had heard God speak. When you develop a relationship with the Lord, you know what his voice sounds like. And the Lord said, quick, let down the sails. So he said, quick, let down the sails. And the deckhands looked around and said, there's no wind. He said, there will be. God said, let down the sails, let down the sails. So they let down the sails, and just as the sails got in place, the wind comes and lurches the ship forward, and they were saved. And everyone looked at him and said, how did you know? He says, I know what the voice of my great king sounds like. And he answers prayers. He answers prayers. Amen? So this is where we finish. I asked for five more minutes because... I want to share something with you that is that God spoke to me about yesterday. Number one, for the men, and then we'll go into the more serious one. Number one that I felt the Lord talking to me about yesterday was, we're going to have a men's choir for Father's Day. We're going to have a men's choir for Father's Day. And I would love for you to be a part of it. I also know there's a blessing, because when God calls something forward, He blesses it. Amen. He blesses it. Amen. And then number two, I had to enter into a time of repentance before the Lord. And it's something that I as a pastor have 
neglected. And I'm sorry for it, but today I get it right. And it has to do with the Lord's Supper. We partake of the Lord's Supper every day. And what I've neglected is I've neglected to provide guidance for those that are brand new to the faith. Or maybe those that are forgotten or maybe were never taught. But the Lord's Supper is something very, very sacred and very, very uh, important and beautiful to Christians. And so, yes, I prepare my heart the night before, but I haven't shared that enough with you. If you're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, you should prepare your heart. You say, Pastor, that means you've got to give us time. No, no, you prepare your heart before you even get here. Before you get here, you prepare your heart. You say, how so? Well, the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says, therefore, we should examine ourselves. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. What are we examining for? We'll see in just a second. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick. And some have even died. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not have the Lord to judge us. Does that make sense? Therefore, my brothers, come together and honor the Lord when we partake. So there's two things specifically that we do to honor the Lord. We don't take it lightly. We know what he did on the cross was the greatest thing in all of history. And it's only available to those who are believers. If you don't believe, the last thing you want is to have God's judgment fall on you. But it's super awesome to believe. You go, how do I believe? Well, the Bible says I repent from putting faith in myself and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Son of God, that God raised Him from the dead, it means He conquered death, you shall be saved. Number one, I've been saved. Number two, I honor what God did for me by His grace. That means... I examine my life before the Holy Spirit and I ask Him to show me those areas that I must ask for forgiveness of. You say, Pastor, but the Bible says that once we're forgiven, it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is a way where we can, what, misuse His grace by continuing in sin, continuing to walk in ways that we know is wrong and we give it no thought and so rather than me telling you what holiness is, 
What I do, what I say is talk to the Holy Spirit. That's how you prepare your heart. You say, what areas in my life do I need to consecrate before you again? Is there unforgiveness that I need to extend to someone before I partake again? Is there bitterness or competition or anger? Is there lust? Am I in a relationship that's not honoring you, God, and you're telling me to get it square? Then right here, right now, before I partake, forgive me of my sin and square me up. Amen? For it was his body that was broken for us. In the book of Hebrews, he says that his body was the veil that gives us access to the holiest of holiest. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says that it was his blood that washed us from all sin. So by your spirit, my king, we thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week. Son of David, have mercy.